All right. Well, good morning. Everybody doing well today? All right. I love that, man. That just makes it fun just right there. So, hey, man, we're so glad you guys are here. If you're joining us online, welcome. And uh, we're in a series called Relationships That Matter. And uh, last week, you know, we, we talked about our relationship with God and how, how critical that is. And today what we're going to do is we're going to talk about what is the second most important relationship. And, uh, and so every relationship is tied to our relationship with God the Father. So how we treat the people around us, it goes back to really what we covered last week. So if you're joining us for the first time, I would encourage you to go back and take a look at last week and say, hey, listen, that is going to impact every other relationship. So the second most important relationship. So let's kind of take a look here. The most important relationship in my life should be my relationship with God. Like I said, we unpacked that last week. That should be, should be number one. It's not always that way. We let other things creep in. And oftentimes what we do is we invite them in and we even put them in the wrong place. And we talk about priorities. And so priorities would be our list of, hey, what is important in our life? And so that priority, we prioritize that list based on really how we spend our time, how we invest our resources. And so what we, we should be saying, like it's saying here, what we should be doing is God is first. God should always be first. Second, the second most important relationship is this one. The second most important relationship should be my relationship with my spouse. And so it's, it's who I am married to, who I'm in a relationship, a marriage relationship with. And so there may be some of you that are here that you're single and you go, oh man, he's talking about that. I'm going to check out. Don't because I've got something for you as well. And so here's the thing is we have got to be willing to say, God, help me to make sure that I keep my priorities in order. And, and so the, the second most important relationship should be my relationship with my, my wife for me. Uh, you know, or if you're a lady, it's your husband. And, and so like this past week, you know, it, wouldn't it work this way? Like Laurie and I have probably argued more in the last two or three days than we have in the last two or three months. You know, it's just one of those. And, and of course, I'm teaching on marriage. You know how that is. And so, I mean, she got on my nerves. I got on her nerves. She pushed my buttons. I pushed her buttons. And it was just one of those things where, you know, we were kind of nipping at each other. And, uh, you know, I even tried to get her to teach with me, and she was like, you can't put that pressure on me right now with, you know, with this wreck and everything. I'm like, oh, my gosh, you know. So it was just one of those deals where we had to work it out. That happens, right? That's life. And so we're not going to always get along. We're not going to always be on the same page. And so we had to kind of work it out. And uh, so she's driving to work. She sees a sign that says, forgive quickly. And so she sends me a text. We work it out. She says, I choose forgive. I said, I choose forgive. And we're good. We're good. So just so y'all know. Uh, but we do have those moments where, you know, we're getting on each other's nerves and we're pushing each other's buttons. But we're committed to each other. And we're committed to a marriage. And, and I would just say to you that too often we're not committed to one another. We're not committed to God. We're not committed to marriage. And, and so I want us to kind of look at, hey, how do we have a, a good marriage? How do we have a healthy second, uh, you know, most important relationship. And so let's look at a couple of things today that I think will help us. To have the best relationship with my spouse, I must put God first. And let me say, think about how we worded that. I must put God first. But here's the thing. God is God. I don't put him anywhere, right? But here's the thing. I choose where in that list of priorities he's going to be. I choose to focus. I'm intentional with my time. I'm intentional with my, you know, my resources. I'm intentional with with how I approach that relationship. And so what we do is we don't put God anywhere. He's God. He put everything in motion, right? He is the God over all things. So I don't control God in any way by moving him around. But what I do is I choose to say, you know what, God, you are my Lord. God, you are first. And if he's Lord of my life, he is first. 
He's not somewhere down here where, hey, man, I believe in God. I believe in Jesus, you know, all that kind of stuff. I go to church. He's not down here. He is first and foremost. Before I do anything, before I say anything, I ask God, God, give me the right words. God, you know, help me to, you know, make the right decisions. God, we want your will to be done. And and so my relationship with God is the most important relationship. So if I really want a good relationship with my spouse, and I would say this to all of us, if I really want a good relationship with my spouse, I have got to have God in first place. That relationship affects, affects every other one. It cannot be myself. It's not myself first. It's not me in first place. It's not me and what I want. Because oftentimes that's the way we live. We're such selfish people. We're always thinking about what's in this for me, right? That's how we, we're just, that, that flesh that hangs on us. That's what it does. We're always thinking, hey, what's in this for me? You know, today, you know, uh, you may be thinking about going out to eat or whatever. You're wanting to go where you want to go. Very rarely do we say, hey, listen, it's always about somebody else. Um, but what we do is we think about us. And even whenever we say, oh, it's not whatever you want, it, we know that, you know, they're not going to pick. So we eventually, we know how to manipulate our spouse or whoever to maybe go where we want to go. That's what we do, right? And so y'all can smile about it, but I'm just telling you, that's what people do. It's always about myself, it seems like. And the thing is, is we're supposed to die to self. Scripture tells us that we're to die to self, that we're to crucify the flesh. And to die to it being about me, but it really is to be about God. So God should be first, not me. And, and, and so the thing is, is oftentimes instead of thinking, hey, what's in this for me? Or how do I make this the best for me? Is God, what do you desire? God, what is your will? God, what is your plan? And, and so as we are going through life, we've got to remember it's not about me. It's not me first. But God, it's about you first. And, and God, I want to live my life in that way. So not myself first. And here's the other one. It's not my spouse first. Because oftentimes what we do, we'll let our spouse become more important than our relationship with God. And then our, our relationship with our spouse becomes uh, messed up. Because it's not where God intends it to be and it's not where we are going to be at our best. So if I really want to be the best for my marriage, I've got to make sure that God is in first place. And so as I do that by how intentional I am with my time, that I make sure that other things don't get in the way and become idolatry, this can become idolatry. You might say, well, Mike, I'm not an idol worshiper. But oftentimes by how we spend our time and what we do with our resources and how important those things are to us, we end up worshiping something other than God. And if your spouse, if you worship your spouse, you're committing adultery. Now here's saying you might say, well, I love my spouse. You can love them. You can be committed to them and you can celebrate them. But if it gets to the point of where you're worshiping them, it's an issue. You know, and so we, we just got through singing a song. There may be some of you that are here today. Now, maybe you're watching online because we are talking about marriage and we're talking about a relationship. And some of you, you feel like, you know what, my marriage is hanging on by a thread. I mean, I'm barely, we are barely here together. And I just want to tell you there's hope. You know, that song that we just got through singing, God is a way maker. Well, there seems there's no way and what might seem impossible, there's nothing impossible with God. Your marriage can be healthy. It can be vibrant. It can be joyful. It can be fun. It, it can be where you're on the same page, and it can be to the point of where there are, rarely are arguments that take place. But you've got to be willing to say, God, I want to put you first. God, I want you to be first. God, I want what you want. And, and, and so I want to encourage you, if you're here and you're going, you know, man, I'm hanging on by a thread, keep hanging on. Don't give up. God is not going to give up on you, and he's not going to give up on your marriage. And, I, and, and listen, I want you to understand this, too, that I know there's plenty of people in this room probably watching online that have already gone through a divorce. Or, you know, you're in the middle of a divorce. 
or whatever it might be. But I'm just telling you, God wants to walk with you there. God gives allowances for divorce. Understand that. But it's not his, it's not his ultimate plan. And so I want us to kind of unpack a few of these things. So not my spouse first, but this next one here. If we really care about, if I really care about my relationship with God, I should care about how God views me. So in other words, if I really love God with all that's in me, if I love God with all of my heart, mind, soul, and strength, if I love him with all that's in me, then I'm going to care about how he looks at marriage and how he looks at my relationships. It's going to bother me if I offend him. It's going to bother me if I'm not lining up with him, if he's really in first place. Now, if you don't really care about your relationship with God and you know, you just, you know, you're just kind of going to go through life and you're going to do whatever you want to do. Probably won't bother you. You'll, you'll treat people however you want to. But if you feel like, hey, you know, this offends God, this, this goes against the teachings of God and it bothers you, you call conviction. That's a good thing, right? And so there are certain things that should bother us. And so the way that we look at marriage, the way that we look at our spouse, the way that we care for our spouse, the way that we serve our spouse really ought to, you know, it ought to be an issue for us if it's an issue for God. So I want us to kind of look at what God might have to say about it. So God says the two become one. You know, back in the day, you know, a lot of people would, whenever we, you could go to weddings, I mean, you can't only go to weddings now, but people would have what they would call a unity candle. And a unity candle would be one big candle in the middle and be two small candles out on the side at a wedding. And, uh, and oftentimes the mother would, you know, would come in and light one candle, the mom and dad would, and then the other one would light the other one. And whenever they would get married, after they'd done, exchanged vows and gifts, and they, you know, they've said, hey, you know what, we've done everything that is required for a covenant relationship. They would come together and they would light that unity candle showing that the two were one. And then I can remember oftentimes people would say, hey, well, you know, you know, we're still, I'm still me and he's still him or whatever. And so we don't want to blow out our candle. So we're going to have a unity candle, but we're still going to be, you know, separate. And I was like, hey, you know, whatever. But here's my thing is the unity, the two becomes one. And so God is addressing that. He says the two becomes one. You are still individuals, but here's the thing. The two of you should be on a, have a common vision for your marriage. You should have common goals for your marriage. You have common values for your marriage. And, and so you're, you're going, you know what? We're working together towards what God has called us together for. God has a plan for the two of us, and, and we want to be on the same page. So let's look at what Scripture says here. This is in Malachi. This is the Old Testament. And so Malachi here, God is speaking about marriage, and he's talking about how you know, the, the men have, have mishandled uh, their wives and, and their, their marriage vows. So in verse 14, it says, you cry out, why doesn't the Lord accept my worship? You know, we just came in here, we worship, we sang songs. And there may be times whenever you feel like, man, my worship seems to be bouncing off the ceiling. My prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. I just don't feel connected to God. Well, it may be that you're, you've got sin in your life. You know, that you're, you're, you're holding on to sin. You're not confessing it. Even though you may know it's wrong, you're not confessing it, you're not repenting of it, you're not leaving it there. And so it has become a strain in your relationship with God. So your worship is not authentic, it's not genuine, it's not moving you like maybe you wish it would. Maybe your prayers don't feel effective. Maybe it's because you're holding on to sin. And so he says, you cry out, why doesn't the Lord accept my worship? I'll tell you why, because the Lord witnessed the vows you and your wife made when you were young. God saw the promises that you made to one another and to him. But you have been unfaithful to her, though she remained your faithful partner, the wife of your marriage vows. So what, Paul, what God is saying here is, hey, listen, I've seen the sin. You know, you've been unfaithful to her. You know, and, and you might say, some of you guys might say, well, he's just, you know, he's hitting on the guys here. It could apply either way. You know, God's seen your unfaithfulness. God's seen that you have broken the vows, that you've broken the promises. And you might say, well, hey, well, you know, I stayed true. I haven't cheated on them but there may be other sin that has crept in in other ways 
And it will always affect our relationship. And here's the thing. It will affect our worship. It will affect our prayers. It will affect how we treat people. Sin, you know, is damaging to relationships. That's why God hates sin. And so it says, you know, that you've, you've uh, been unfaithful to, to your wife. Didn't the Lord make you one with your wife in body and spirit? You are his. And so here's the thing. Whenever we enter into a marriage covenant, we, we literally, we enter into a covenant with God and whoever we're marrying. So we're entering into a covenant relationship with God. We're entering into a covenant marriage with whoever it is that we're marrying. And But look at what it says. It says, you are his. We, we become part of God's witness in the world. We become God, part of God's plan in the world. And so God has a, a plan for us. It says, and what does he want? God, godly children from your union. So guard your heart. Remain loyal to the wife of your youth. So God is saying, hey, listen, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life, is what Proverbs says. So, man, guard your heart. You need to have good guardrails, good protection in your marriage. Make sure that you're not crossing lines that will literally put your marriage in jeopardy. But God wants you to, to honor that. He says, for I hate divorce. I hate divorce. God says, I hate divorce. Now, I know there's some of you in the room, like I said, you may have gone through divorce. You may have gone through multiple divorces. And there's probably nobody that hates divorce more than you do. But God hates it. And it wasn't God's plan. It probably wasn't your plan. There's not too many people that get married and say, man, I cannot wait to get married and get divorced. I mean, nobody does that, do they? But there are things that happen. There, are, Like I said, there are abuses that take place. There's infidelity that takes place. And so God does give allowance for divorce, but it is not his plan. It's very clear he hates divorce. Says the Lord, the God of Israel, to divorce your wife is to overwhelm her with cruelty, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Now, let me be clear. What God was saying here, you know, and, and it was a different culture. Women were viewed a little bit different. Let me just say this. The women were viewed kind of like property. They were viewed almost like cattle or sheep or, you know, uh, you know, hey, that nice cart you've got over there. You know, so they were viewed as, as, as property. They didn't have the value that Jesus brought whenever he stepped on, on this planet and that he has taught ever since he was here. You know, it's, hey, that women have equal value. But the thing is, is... It wasn't that way in, in the Old Testament. We see there where they often, the men and the, the culture just treated them like they were property. And so God says, you know, you're overwhelming her with cruelty. He's looking out for the ones that, you know, can't take for, care of themselves, just like God always does. And so look at what it says here. So guard your heart and do not be unfaithful to your wife. So he's addressing that, right? He's speaking there. Hey, guard your heart. You know, don't follow what the, the other guys are doing. Don't do what the world is doing. Do what I tell you to do. Do what you committed to do and honor the vows and promises that you made. That's what God is saying. And so we, we have Jesus come along. Jesus said the same thing. I wonder why Jesus would say the same thing that God did. Because Jesus was God who became man in flesh. So Jesus left heaven to come here to go to the cross for you and for me and to show us how we could be in right relationship with God the Father. So Jesus literally was God in, in flesh. He was fully God, but yet fully man. And so it's no, no wonder that the two would say the same thing. So let's look at what it says here in Matthew. It says some Pharisees came and tried to trap him, that is Jesus, with this question. And so they're always trying to trap Jesus because they're wanting to do away with any change that he's wanting to bring. Remember, we talked about the culture that was there. And, and so they kind of had things the way they wanted it. Oftentimes it's always about how we want things, Right. But God had a different plan. And so the question they, they posed was this. So should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for just any reason? In other words, can, uh, can a, any reason, like for whatever reason it pops up in his mind. And so Jesus responds, haven't you read the scriptures? Don't you love that? It's almost like an eye poke. Like, dude, haven't you read the Bible? You know, somebody says, well, hey, you know, 
I, I think this, and you go, hey, haven't you read the scriptures? Don't you know that you can't do that? That's not what God says. That may be what the world teaches. That may be what everybody else is doing, but it's not what scripture says. So Jesus replied, and they record that from the beginning, God made them male and female. God made male and female to be to come together. And he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. There's the two becoming one again. And again, it's one vision for your marriage. It's one set of values for your marriage. It's one set of goals for your marriage. It's not like, hey, I'm going to do my thing, you're going to do your thing, and you know, and we'll just, we'll just kind of cohabitate, and we'll just kind of go through life together. But what, what God is saying here is, hey, listen, the two become one. And there is a plan and a purpose for your life. And God wants to use even your marriage as a ministry and as a witness of the gospel of, of Jesus Christ. And so the two are united into one. Since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. There will always be someone trying to destroy what God has done. Because there's some that they don't worship God. They don't serve God. They serve the devil. They serve this world. And it's all about what they desire. There'll always be some attack coming against your marriage. I tell our guys in ministry, our staff, and our, you know all of them, I tell them, hey, listen, you'll always have a bullseye on your back. The enemy, Satan himself, wants to destroy your marriage and your ministry. And I would say that to every married couple in here as well. Satan wants to destroy your marriage. He, you know, he's a thief who comes to steal and kill and destroy. Jesus has come that you may, may have life and have it more abundantly. That's John 10, 10. And so we've got to understand, you know what, God wants us to have the best out of life but satan wants to destroy our life and our witness and our marriage so marriage is a covenant based on mutual commitment and so it's a covenant it's a covenant with god remember we talked about that it's a covenant with one another and it's based on mutual commitment i shared with you a little bit earlier about laurie and i we're committed to each other you know and, and so there are times we may not like each other a whole lot you know i may get on her nerves she may get on my nerves but we are committed to our marriage and we're committed to one another we're committed to god we love god we love each other and so it's important for us to understand that marriage is a covenant it's not a contract you know we talk about contracts a lot you know you guys have got cell phone contracts you know they don't mean anything do they you break them and there's always somebody out there hey listen don't worry about that contract we'll take care of that whatever but a contract is based on mutual distrust a contract is based on mutual distrust in other words hey we're going to sign a contract because i don't trust you prenuptial agreement that's a contract i don't trust you so this is what we're going to do you might want to steal my money you might want to get my possessions so we're gonna we're gonna do this and, and so a contract is literally based on the fact that i don't trust you and you don't trust me so we're going to sign a piece of paper that says that you do what you're supposed to do and i'll do what i'm supposed to do. and if not there may be some penalties right but a covenant a marriage is based on mutual commitment that you're committed to one another that you're committed to God. You're committed to raise your family in a certain way. You're committed. You're, you're all in. It's not like, hey, listen, if things don't work out, I'm going ahead and opting out right now. I'm going to go ahead and have me a clause over here. But you're saying we're mutually committed. And so it's, uh, it's important for us to remember this, too, that marriage is to be honored. Marriage is to be honored. It's a sacred thing. It's scriptural. You know, I know in, in our culture, marriage is under attack. I think we all would agree with that. So marriage is under attack. It's constantly being uh, put down. It's constantly being attacked. It's constantly being cheapened. And, and so, you know, there was a time whenever marriage was an honorable institution, an honorable thing. And now it's almost like it's just, it's just, I don't know, it becomes something that we just do because, hey, that's what everybody else is doing. And we even look at it the way that the world looks at it rather than how God looks at it. 
So marriage is to be honored. You know, look at what it says here in Hebrews chapter 13. It says, give honor to marriage and remain faithful to one another in marriage. God will surely judge people who are immoral and those who commit adultery. And so, you know, we have, we live in a culture now where, you know, people want to live together. You know, and they'll just try, hey, we're going to try things out, see if it works. If it doesn't work, then y'all move on. That's not what God's plan is. But that's what the world says is okay, right? You need to know if you're going to even like this person. Y'all need to live together. You know, and I'm just telling you, I know it's common, I know it's accepted, but it's not biblical. You know, and one of the things that drives me crazy, you call it a you know cultural thing, whatever you want to call it. But where I hear even Christian ladies saying, hey, you know, this is my baby daddy. I want to say, dude, once you say this is my husband, this is my, you know, this is my marriage partner or something like that. That's a different ballgame. But to cheapen marriage and to not honor it. Man, that's crazy. And so God says, hey, marriage is to be honored. That's straight out of Scripture, that it's to be honored. You know, it says God will surely judge people who are immoral and those who commit adultery. You know, it's, it's, it's all over the TV. It's all over every movie. I mean, it's almost like, hey, that is accepted. That's what is supposed to happen. But that's not God's plan. But if you want the world standards, then, hey, they're out there. But if you really want a marriage that is, man, that is amazing, that is incredible, then you've got to be able to say, God, I want what your plan is. Because your plan is best. But God, I know this other leads to divorce. This other leads to cheating. This other leads to idolatry and all these other things. And so, God, I want what you want. And so we've got to be willing to honor marriage. So what are some good qualities to look for, for uh, in, a, in, a, in a potential spouse? And so I know we've got some singles here and maybe some singles watching online. And uh, maybe some people that are divorced or whatever you might be. You might say, hey, well, hey, what about us? You know, uh, Valentine's Day, I've always heard, is one of the worst days in the world for people that are single. All right, well, it could be good for you today because you're going to get some of God's Word. So anyway, so let's look at some qualities that we would say would probably be good, like loving. I mean, most of us, you know, would say, hey, I want somebody in my life that is loving, right? You want somebody that's loving. I know, you know, like with Laurie and I, you know, we have to work at understanding each other's love language. And so my love language is, is words of affirmation and, and physical touch. That's my, my love language. That's not Laurie's love language. So for me, loving would be her coming up and telling me something positive or affirming me and then say, hey, listen, hey, you want to get together later? I'd be like, heck yeah, man, we're good. You know, so that would be awesome to me, but that's not her love language. So I often would tell Laurie, hey, I I want you to know I think you're beautiful. And I'm telling her all these things and she's like, great. And then I come up and I put my arms around, hey, listen, a little bit later. And she's like, listen, I'm trying to get ready for work. Okay, would you leave me alone? So, but her love language would be, hey, would you go in and wash the dishes? Would you wash some clothes? Will you take care of a couple of tasks with the boys or something like that? Or would you just handle that situation instead of asking the boys to do it? So for Laura, that's how I say I love you. But I'm thinking, hey, I want to speak my love language, and it doesn't work that way. So you have to learn the love language of your spouse. So we all want somebody that's loving. Here's another one. What about somebody that's joyful? Man, they're, they're full of joy. They're, they're fun to be around. They're not, they're not negative Nancy. They're, you know, they're not just a, you know, like bottom dweller, like, oh my gosh, you get around them. They suck the life. We don't want nobody like that, do we? So don't date anybody like that. If you're single, don't date anybody like that. Find somebody that's joyful or somebody, here's another one that's peaceful. Who likes to fight all the time? You know, man, that is one of those things that, you know, I, I hate drama. Do y'all like drama, man? Anybody here like drama? Boy, I hate drama. You know, and it always seems like there's drama, you know, and you go, God, I hate it, man. And so I want, to be in a peaceful i like to laugh i like to have fun but i like peace i like when there's peace but when there's turmoil and there's drama it seems like it gets on my nerves i'm just going to be straight up with you i mean i'm pretty clear about that i think but most of us like peaceful 
And so I would say, hey, listen, let's find somebody. If I'm looking, I want, I want somebody that's peaceful. And then here's another one. Maybe somebody that's patient. Now, that's what I, I struggle with. I am not the most patient person. I feel like I'm better than I used to be. And I'm asking God to you know, t- teach me how to be more patient, more you know, long-suffering is what one uh, translation calls it. But if you, if you want to be in a marriage with somebody, you better, you better find somebody that's patient. Patient with you. They're patient with, in life. And, and if they're patient, they'll usually be peaceful. And then here's another one, kind. We want somebody that's kind, that cares about people. Man, they've got to have a kind heart. They're not hard-hearted. They're not mean. They're not bitter. But, man, they're kind. But if they've got a lot of issues in their life, they may struggle to be kind. They need some help with that. Good. We want somebody that's good, right? You know, maybe you probably think, hey, good-looking, good cook, whatever. I'm just saying good as in a good person. They see the good in others. You know, they're, they're somebody that does, they do good. And then here's another one, faithful. What about somebody that's faithful, that's loyal, that you know that you can count on them, that you can trust them, that there's no jealousy in your relationship because there's an incredible amount of trust in your relationship. So if you've got somebody that's faithful, man, that would be a great quality to have. Then here's a couple more, gentle. You want somebody that's gentle, that they're not, you know, harsh or abrasive or whatever, but they're gentle. And then this last one here. Self-controlled. You know, in other words, they're self-motivated. They're self-controlled. They don't lose it. You know, they don't snap all the time. But they got great self-control. Then look at look here. These qualities are found only in someone with the Holy Spirit or God at work in his or her life. It's the only place you're going to find it. And so if you're single and you're looking, I'm just telling you, you need to find somebody that Jesus is at work in their life. God, the Holy Spirit, is, is producing these fruits that we see here. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's no law against these things. That's all the good stuff. And so if you're looking for somebody and you're thinking, hey, I want somebody to do life with. I want somebody to spend time with. You need to be looking for somebody that God is working in their life. The Holy Spirit is bringing this fruit literally to bear in their life. And you're not going, you know, hey, well, hopefully one day you need to be seeing it now. If you're not seeing it now, here's the thing. The fruit shows what kind of uh, tree there is there. And if there's the fruit of the Holy Spirit in their life, then here's the thing, then Jesus ought to be evident in their life. And you ought to be able to see it pretty clearly. And so here's a couple things that I would, I would throw at you. If you're single, you should be looking for someone who loves God. Now, I almost changed that to say, if you're single, you want to be looking. But I was thinking, you know, everybody wants that. But a lot of times we don't do what we should do. We do what we want to do. And we may want somebody, but we should be looking for someone who loves God. Should. It's kind of one of those things like, hey, if this is what you want, you've got to do this. So if you're single, you should be looking for someone that loves God, has a relationship with Him, and has the fruits of the Spirit showing up. Here's another. If you're single, you should be looking for someone who loves you and is committed to you, not someone who needs you. I know there's plenty of movies out there where, you know, and they'll probably be all over the TV today and yesterday and, you know, the whole weekend about someone... I need you. You complete me, which is so baloney. You know, it's just so Hollywood. So here's the thing is they they will post those videos out there and chick flicks, whatever. And y'all go, oh, that's so awesome. But I'm just telling you, you don't need to find somebody that's needy. You need to find somebody that loves God, loves you, and is committed to God and committed to you. That's what you need. That's what we all need. We need someone that loves God, loves people. We need someone that loves God and loves people. That's the great commandment, right? And the second one's just like it, love your neighbor as yourself. So someone that loves God loves people. And if we find someone that loves God and loves people, here's the thing. God will meet the needs. 
And so I've got to look for God to meet the needs of my life, not somebody to meet all my needs. Then I come into the relationship really needy. And here's the thing. I'll be delusional if I think that they are going to meet all of my needs. They won't. We're people. We're broken. We're broken vessels. You know, and so the thing is, is if you're looking, if you're still on the search, I'm telling you, you need to find someone that is committed to God, loves God, loves you, and they're committed to you. And then ask God to meet the needs in their life. And they don't complete you. Jesus is the only one that completes us. So, a couple things here. There are two things to have to know the best relationship. These two things, there are two things that we need to know. Two things we need to know. And we need to know these two things, and you need to probably practice these two things. And they come from Scripture here out of Galatians. It says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Say that with me. He reaps what he sows. All right. So, if I'm sowing, you know, seed over here, if I'm sowing, you know, seed for corn, then I'm going to reap corn, right? So if I'm sowing something over here, you know, and I'm sowing whatever it might be, whatever I plant is what I'm going to grow, right? So a man reaps what he sows. So some of you guys in your relationships, you're sowing discord in your marriage. You're, sow, you're sowing jealousy in your marriage. You're sowing anger in your marriage and you're getting what? Those same things back. Whatever you have sown into your marriage is what you get back. Whatever you're sowing into your relationships, that's what you're getting back. So scripture is clear. A man reaps what he sows. So if I, if I sow anger, then I get anger back. If I sow, you know, jealousy, then I'm going to get jealousy back. You know, one of the great things in mine and Laura's relationship through the years is we've never battled with jealousy. I was in a relationship before that that was nothing but jealousy. And it was the most miserable relationship I've ever been in my life. You know, they call it a green-eyed monster because that monster is always attacking. And and so if you have a marriage or a relationship that is filled with jealousy, I'm telling you, and you keep sowing it, you're going to get that back. What you want is you want to sow trust. You want to to sow grace. You want to sow mercy. You want to sow forgiveness. And here's the thing, that's what you get back. So we've got to be willing to, to, we reap what we sow. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, that is the Spirit of the living God who lives within us, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Man, that's good stuff. That's what we want, right? So so here's the thing. Let us not become weary in doing good for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Some of you guys just need to hear that day. Don't give up. You're thinking, Mike, I've, I've tried and I've tried and I've tried, but I'm telling you, don't give up. I mean, trust God. And maybe allow God to change you. And instead, instead of instead, hey, I'm sowing giving up, I'm, so, I'm sowing this. I'm going to sow this that I will not give up. That I'm committed. That I'm in this. I'm going to keep fighting. So we've got to be willing to do it. So here's, here's our, our two points. Number one, you reap what you sow. And then here's the second one. So, so let me throw this question out there. So what are you planning? And it goes back to what we said. What are you planning? Are you showing grace? Are you showing mercy? Are you showing anger? resentment, bitterness, what are you planning? What are you planning in that relationship? And then the second point is this, is you reap where you sow. You reap where you sow. So in other words, if, I, if I've got a garden, that wherever I plant that seed, that's where I'm going to reap what I'm, I've planted, right? So most of us, if you grew up with a garden or if you have a garden, you know that there's a certain place you go out there, you till it up, you get it right, you put little rows in there, little mounds or whatever, and then you go back and you plant the seed. Well, that's where you're going to reap you know, what you have sown. Well, it's the same way in our relationships. 
if I'm, if I'm planting, you know, all of my seeds or all of my energy or all of my resources or whatever into this area over here that's called my hobby or my children or my career or whatever it might be, and it's not in my marriage, then this is where I will reap any kind of return on that. In other words, so I'm, I'm investing in my career, and so all of a sudden I get promotions, but my marriage is falling apart. But I'm investing all of my time, my energy, and my efforts into my career because I want to provide for my family, and so I'm over here, but my marriage is dying. And so I'm investing in my children because, you know, my children, I want them to make good grades. I want them to go to college one day, you know, and I want them to be, have it better than I did. So we pour everything into our kids, but our marriage is dying. Or, hey, we invest in our hobbies and we got all this money and time and energy invested in our hobbies. And so we become better fishermen, we become better hunters, golfers, you know, whatever it might be, whatever your hobbies are, but yet your marriage is falling apart. So the, the thing is, is where you, you reap where you sow. So you become better at these things because you're investing, you're sowing into that. And you wonder why your marriage is not better. You wonder why, hey, why are we not closer? Why are we not, you know, uh, growing closer? Why are we not one? Why are we always at odds? And maybe you've allowed the children to become the God in your life. And they get all the attention, all the affection, all the, all the resources, and they will grow up and leave, and then you're left here with this relationship that just doesn't seem to work. And there's not the kids here to keep me anymore, so I guess we'll just go separate ways. But what if we were to say, you know what, I'm going to invest in this relationship, and I'm going to invest in it second only to God. So I'm going to invest in God. God is first. And so I'm going to invest in my relationship with God. I'm going to learn and I'm going to grow and I'm going to mature and develop as a believer and a follower. And then I'm going to invest in my marriage. And because I'm investing in that marriage, man, it's going to grow. We're going to go to marriage retreats and we're going to do things together. And we're, we're, going, to, we're going to forgive one another. And if we need to go to counseling, we're going to counseling. We're going to do whatever it takes to make sure that this is going to be healthy. And I'm just telling you, that's what we've got to be willing to do. We've got to be willing to do those things. And so let me show you a couple of things here. So the question says, where are you investing everything? So quick question, where are you investing? Is it in all that stuff or is it over here in your marriage, your relationship with, with God? So some ways to invest in your marriage. So you may want to jot some of these down. You might want to remember some of these. Some ways to invest in your marriage would be to pray for one another. You know, I pray for Lori throughout the day. There's times that she'll just come to mind and I pray for her. I pray for her to have a good day. I pray for God to use her gifts as a ministry I pray for God to, to bless her. I pray for God to heal her. She was just in an accident. I pray for God to continue to heal her body. You know, I'm, I'm praying for God to show me how to build her up, to encourage her, you know, in all those things. And so I think all of us, we can pray for one another. I, I've got a good friend right now that is in the hospital, you know, that I don't have to be with him to pray for him. I'm praying for him from a distance. But many guys may know Scott Crouch, who is in the hospital, is really in a struggle for his life. And so his wife, Missy, has been asking everybody, hey, be, be praying for a miracle. And we are. We're praying for that. And so I would encourage you, man, you know, just pray for people. But pray for your spouse. Pray for the one that you're going to marry if you're single. And here's another one. Pray with one another. Don't just pray for one another. Pray with one another. In other words, take each other by the hand and, and just sit down. Hey, let's, let's, let's pray. And maybe you're, you know, you're going out for a walk and say, hey, listen, let's pray. You know, one of the things I do, even when I go on hunts, man, I'll gather up with the guys that I'm hunting with. And I'll say, hey, guys, let's pray. And we pray before we, we go out on a hunt. And so there's, there's all kinds of ways 
to pray together. But I think praying with our spouse is, spouse is one of the most powerful ways uh, to pray. And so here's another. Worship God together. Come to church, man. Gather, you know, sit beside each other. Lift holy hands to the Lord. Man, worship God in truth and in spirit. And let God just move in the, in the two of you. And I'll tell you this. The more that you grow closer to God, the closer you'll get to your spouse. But both of you have got to be intentional about that. Worshiping together and worshiping God together. And then here's another one. Serve together. Find something to do. Some way to serve together. You know, maybe as an usher, a greeter in a parking lot, children's ministry, whatever. But find somewhere where you're serving other people together. Uh, March 6th, we've got Love Where You Live, which is an opportunity to go out and pick up trash. Go pick up trash together. Serve your community. Serve the people around you together. And I'm telling you, man, God does something special through that. And, and so it's always powerful when we do that. Serve one another. Serve one another. You know, ask God, God, show me how I can serve my, my spouse. Always ask Lori, or try to ask her this pretty regularly, hey, what can I do for you? Is there anything I, you need me to do for you today? You know, she's leaving to go to work. Hey, anything I need to do for you today? Now, there's times I don't want to do it. Y'all ever up that way? You know, but I'm asking because I'm committed to her and I love her. And there's times when she'll t- ask me, hey, can you do this? And I'm thinking, I don't want to, but I will. You know what I'm saying? Because I'm committed to you and I love you. That's just being, that's just keeping it real. But the thing is, is God wants us to serve one another. I mean, that's what we see, man. God has that servant heart. He, Jesus modeled it for us. And so we've got to be willing to do that. I love this passage here out of, out of James. Now this is going to sound almost kind of like boom, a heavy. And I'll just be honest with you, it is a heavy. And this is a heavy verse right here that speaks to maybe the things that we've done wrong. It says, come close to God and God will come close to you. That's important to remember. Come close to God. Draw close to Him. Be intentional. Go after Him. Chase after God. Seek Him first. But come close to God and He will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts. For your loyalty is divided between God and the world. All morning long we've been talking about what the world says and all this stuff. But we've got to look at what God says. And I think many, many, many relationships and marriages that are in churches... They still look to the world for how to fix their marriages and the standards for their marriage rather than to God's word. Hey, it's whatever's popular. It's whatever everybody else is doing. It's whatever's on TV. It's whatever's in the movies. It's all this make-believe stuff. Hey, that's what I'm bringing in as a value in my home. But God says, hey, line it with his word. And so look at it again. It says, wash your hands, you sinners. Sin affects the relationships. Purify your hearts. Let God... Purify your heart. Let him cleanse that. But it takes you confessing it and you repenting of that, turning from it, not to take it up again. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. You might go, why in the world would God want me to hurt like that? Why would God want me to struggle with what I've done? Because God desires a broken and contrite spirit. It's when we're broken over our sin that we're the most pliable in the hands of God. It's when we're broken over our sin that there really begins to be change in our relationships. It's when we're broken that God can do the most healing in us. And so I would just encourage you to to go, God, I want you to break my heart over the sins that I've committed. God, I want to be broken over that. And God, I want to I give that up. 
I want to give up the garbage of this world for the glory that you have for me and for my spouse. And, and so we've got to get our mind around that. It says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up in honor. If we will humble ourselves and say, God, I've, I've messed up. I've, I've blown it. I've, I've broken your standard. I've broken my promise to you. God, I've broken my promise to my spouse. God, will you forgive me? And he will and he can. But man, he desires that broken spirit, that broken heart. We have to be broken over our sin. So the healthy, successful marriage must be committed to a Christ-centered relationship first. You want a healthy, successful, you know, that's, that's a big word in our culture is success. We always want success. But man, it really needs to be healthy. You know, the best athletes, the most successful athletes are the usual ones that are healthy and stay healthy. And in our marriage, it's got to be healthy. And really for it to be healthy, man, God has to be first. Jesus has to be Lord in our life. But it also has to be to the point of where we're willing to say, God, help me to, help me to purge some of this junk that's in my life. God, help me to purge my thinking, get rid of some of the garbage that's been planted there, that I've invited into my mind. God, I want to think about marriage the way that you think about marriage. God, I want to think about my spouse the way that you think about my spouse. And God, I want to line it with your word. There may be some of you in this room that you've never put your faith in Christ. You don't have a Christ-centered relationship because you don't have Christ. When I read the fruits of the Spirit a while ago, you don't have those because the Holy Spirit is not at work in you producing those. You may have religion. You could have gone to church your whole life but not have the fruits of the Spirit. It's not the fruits of going to church. It's the fruits of the Holy Spirit at work in you. And maybe today, maybe for you, you go, you know what, man, I, I need Jesus. I, Mike, I realize I need Christ in my life. I have messed up so many relationships, and I realize it's never been Christ-centered. It's never been focused on the Word of God. It's never been about what God wants. It's been about what I want. And, man, I am drawn to people that are broken and hurt just like me, thinking that they will meet my needs, and I never can, and, and they think the same thing about me, and I never can. And so today I realize that only Jesus will meet that need in me. And God, I'm asking you, will you forgive me? And I'm just telling you, he says, yes. Jesus, will you come and live within me? Will you come and take up residence? Will you fill me with the Holy Spirit? And will you bring about these fruits of the Holy Spirit? And he says, yes. But you have a part in that. You have to confess your sin. You have to repent of your sin and say, Jesus, will you come? Will you live in me? I surrender. I give you everything. And when we do that, man, he takes that brokenness and those broken relationships and he begins to do healing. But he starts right here. He starts with me. He starts in our heart. And so I want to ask you, if you would, just to bow your head for a second. Just close your eyes. There's a couple of next steps today. And one of them was just that, that, hey, I, today I will put my faith in Christ for salvation. Today I put my faith in Christ for salvation. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're watching online. And you realize, you know what, man, I need to put my faith in Christ. I need to put my faith in Jesus. And so right now, right where you're at, just say, Jesus, will you come into my life? Will you be my leader? Will you be my Lord? You ain't out. Father, will you change everything about me? Especially my relationships. And his answer is yes. So as we confess our sins, say, Jesus, I, I want to confess to you I've sinned. There may be some of you in this room, man, you've... You've done something to damage your relationship, and you've done it over and over and over. Confess it, but here's the thing. Repent. Quit doing it. 
go a different direction. Say, God, I want to do something different. I want to live for you. And so ask Christ to come in and live within you. Give him everything. And here's the thing. He says he will save you. He will redeem you. And he'll change you. Maybe you're here today in, in this room and you just ask Christ to come into your life. You said, Mike, that's what I needed. I just asked Jesus to come into my life. If you did, would you just raise your hand and say, Mike, I just asked Jesus to come into my life, to save me, to change me. Man, just raise your hand and say, Mike, that's me. Anybody. Anybody in the room. Maybe you're online. Let us know. We want to walk with you. But you know, one thing I do know is I know there's a lot of marriages represented in this room. And you know, you know what, Mike? My marriage is not where it needs to be. I need God to really work in me. I have not had my priorities right. And man, I want to confess that to God today and I want to repent of that and I want to get that in order. Maybe you say, Mike, that's me. If you would, just raise your hands and say, Mike, that's me. My marriage needs to be in the right place to see your hands. Anybody else say, man, I need my marriage to be where it needs to be. I need it to be right with God. I need to be right with God. I need to get it right. Maybe you're watching online. Same for you. Today can be that time, that moment. A change starts with one step. Takes all the faith that we have, but God can change us. Maybe you choose this week to sow into your marriage the things that are good. And you realize, you know what? It's going to be different this week. Father, I thank you for meeting with us. I pray for the couples that are here. Lord, I I pray that you would just draw them close. Maybe they'll take hands right now as they... As, they, as we go to you in prayer. And so, Father, I pray a blessing over them. Every marriage that's represented, God, I pray for you to bless them. I do pray for brokenness over sin. I pray for heart change. And so, God, I just pray that if there's anybody here, Lord Father, they're sitting with their spouse, they take them by the hand, and maybe in a fresh way commit to putting you first, God, and them second. And, God, that they'll be able to walk out of here today, maybe on a new path, moving in a new direction. God, that is lit and, Lord, Father, directed by your word. Father, I thank you for loving us and for saving us. And, God, that you want to bless us. You want to give us that abundant life. Thank you for the the gift of that person in our life, God, that you have for us. In Jesus' name.